From across the various realms of the internet comes the power of role-playing. This is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The best of role-playing is here. This is... Game Night Heroes. Hello everyone, and welcome back once again to the Game Night Heroes podcast. I'm Kevin, the host and the Game Master for most of our games, and today we are coming at you with another special bonus episode, another Creator's Corner, where we'd like to take some out-of-game time to sit down with some movers and shakers in the world of role-playing games, and we'll see what makes them work. So... Today I have a very special bonus time where I get to sit down with a gentleman and a scholar, Mr. Siegfried Trent. He's a game designer, writer, world traveler, and a teacher who just happens to be one of the lead project creators on Everyday Heroes, our current campaign arc system. Everyday Heroes, of course, is an update to the D20 Modern role-playing game that uses the 5th edition rule set and is currently on Kickstarter. It's already been funded and it is blasting past its initial intended goal and is working on some pretty solid stretch goals if I do say so myself. If you want to have some additional information you can find that with the show notes attached to this episode. But today we sit down with Sig and we talk a little bit about his life and times, his work in the TTRPG field, his propensity for being a little bit of a worldly traveler, and just his love of action movies and a need to have modular role-playing game systems. So, without any further ado, let's please enjoy our interview with Siegfried Trent. Thank you so very much for sitting down with me and talking. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I mean, I'll do anything I can to help uh, get the word out about the game. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've been playing the game uh, a couple weeks now. We're actually set to record our finale episode tomorrow, um, and it's been a riot. We've got basically it's like a semi anthology type show where we've got two different groups, and they've come together here at the end to take down the same bad guy. It's been a uh, it's been a real treat. It's a fun game. Um, I played cool. the old D20 Modern back in the day, so um, it's uh, it's cool to see a newer revamped version of it. So. Uh, do you mind if I call you Siegfried? Sig? Do you have a? Yeah, you can say anything you like, but Sig is is easy and, and what most people call me. Oh, cool, cool. We will uh, we'll go with that then. Um, yeah, you're probably like me and call me whatever as long as it's not something vulgar, right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I'd uh, you know, yeah, because it's a complex name. I I yeah, I offer Sig as a as an easy alternative. Yeah. So before we dive into this, something I noticed looking around, seeing kind of what you're up to is I see that you are a world renowned traveler. You go all over the place. You can see a bunch of different sights and sounds. I wouldn't call me world renowned, but yeah, a, a, a publicized traveler, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I spent the last five years or so kind of roaming around. So I traveled through all of the United States for about three years in a Airstream travel trailer. And I have mm-hmm. my blog trail and hitch. That's about that. And then we went to Japan for two years, and that's I got a blog for that one too. Um, and then, yeah, COVID kind of chased us back home. So, sure, <laughs> right. Uh, so, you is it mainly um, just between U.S. and Japan, or do you go other places too? I haven't been anywhere else yet. I want to. Um, okay. We were before COVID came down. We were planning on taking the Trans Siberian Railroad 
go across Russia mm-hmm. and then drive to Spain uh, and live in Spain for a while, maybe, right? And kind of have the European adventure. But A, COVID came and that sort of shut down any border travel. And B, eh, my funds started to dwindle. And then C, I got leukemia last year. Oh, my uh, goodness. So that, yeah. So that shut that down and uh, spent a year in cancer treatment, basically. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm yeah. glad to see you are in good health now. That's uh pretty scary stuff, but <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 We came through it. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, everyday heroes came along and I was like, yeah, there's something to do. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. do it. Keep you right. busy. Absolutely. Yeah, um, so. so you spent a lot of time in Japan. You said, I saw that you work as a, um, English as a second language instructor before. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. probably you're probably pretty versed in Japanese then. Correct. Uh, no, actually, oh, they uh, don't allow you to speak Japanese in those lessons. So oh. I actually didn't learn very much. I learned how to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, thank you. And a couple other things. And generally, I didn't need to speak Japanese all that much when I was there. So, so I'm a little ashamed that I didn't learn more of it. My wife did study it more. Um, but you know, I was working and traveling. So and I'm a little lazy. No, I didn't quite get there. That's right. They're a little bit more progressive than here in America, where it's like you go to, say, a Spanish class in high school where you're talking in English and you have by rote, you're going to learn the certain phrases. They just they immerse you right in. Huh? You, just, you come in, you're speaking English, right? Yeah. So That's the thing awesome. is, is uh, yeah, they all learn English in school. So they study the grammar and syntax and the vocabulary. But what they don't get is a lot of practice speaking in a native way. So they're very uncomfortable talking with an American or somebody who speaks English because they they don't, it's funny, they study the language, but they don't really know how to communicate with it, if that makes sense. Interesting. Their yeah. teachers are Japanese. Uh, they do have programs where Americans will go over into the schools and help the class, but they're not in every class. So these types of, they call uh, English classes, are meant to really give you the how to take that knowledge that they have and become more communicative and be able to express themselves naturally and use American idioms and understand not technical English, but English as it's practiced. Right. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so they're one-on-one lessons, which is great. And then I get to learn, you know, I get to talk to a lot of Japanese people, learn about Japanese culture at the same time as sharing American culture uh, and helping them understand English is a, an insane language, and it's yes. okay to make mistakes, right. and there isn't always one correct way to do things, and so they should just try to have fun and not worry too much about being wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> and just enjoy communicating, right? That was my kind of lesson style. I love that. That's a great approach. I love yeah. that. It was very satisfying, and it was a wonderful way to travel. Right, so sure, because yeah. you get you get to have so much more contact that way. I love that. Awesome. Very cool. Well, awesome. So, um, yeah, you are one of the lead designers on Everyday Heroes. What was the beginning of your role playing game journey? I mean, how did you find out about role playing games? Are you uh, one of the old school? You know, had the red box back in the day, and now you've been playing all these years, or is it relatively new for you? What's your story with that? That's about me. I was a Redbox boy. Uh, so when I was in, I want to say fifth grade, um, my grandparents, uh, who live up in Alaska, sent me the Redbox, uh, you know, with that great picture of the barbarian fighting the red dragon on it, which is oh, yeah. an awesome 
iconic piece of uh, art. And uh, I got this thing and I was like, it looks amazing. My father used to read Lord of the Rings to me when I was a kid. So I was already into fantasy and fairy tales and stuff. But I didn't know about role playing games. And, uh, you know, this thing is just like, what is this? This looks wonderful. Right. I read through it. And honestly, I, I understood it was a game. And I understood a little bit about making a character. But I had no idea what actually playing it was like. Sure. Right? Like, it, the, the old books don't really describe play very much. Um, they just give you all these rules. It sort of assumes you know the general melu, right? But right. you don't, especially if you're a, a kid living by himself and doesn't know anybody who knows this game. <laughs> so, you know, these days, like we have the actual plays and stuff like your guys's um, podcast, and it's amazing, right? Because you can sit somebody down, and they're like, "I don't, I don't get it." Like, eh, listen to this. Yes, and they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, okay, I get it. I can do that, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you get one of these tomes, especially like the old advanced Dungeons and Dragons books, right? Uh, and you're just like, uh, uh. So I kind of <laughs> understood what it was, but I didn't. And when I got back up to Alaska, I used to shuttle back and forth. Uh, and when I got back to Alaska, I found a friend or a neighbor kid who played Dungeons and Dragons before, right? In retrospect, played it totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> in the sense, like not really following the rules, making up most of their rules, right? Mm-hmm. But still had the basic style of how you play these games. And uh, so I jumped in with him and some friends, and it wasn't very long before I was started game mastering because I was like, ah, I could do a little better. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and so I, I became kind of the game master for my crew friends. And, uh, you know, ever since then, been playing games. Lots of Dungeons and Dragons, but I dabble in all kinds of games. I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know, poly when it comes to my game enjoyment. Nice. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons has always been a through line for me. Like, I've always played that in addition to everything else. And I like fantasy stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's how I got started. As far as writing, you know, right from the early days, I was just always one of those people who was like, hey, let's make a new spell. Let's make a new monster. Let's make new stuff for this game. I want to be creative. Mm-hmm. So I've always done that. Um, and then sort of over the years, even though I worked as a software engineer, little by little, I um, got into more formal design. When I lived in Seattle, uh, you know, it kind of became the game Mecca. Wizards of the Coast started here. And I knew Peter Atkinson from conventions. Oh, wow. I used to hang out with them. You know, one day he was like, yeah, Sig, we're, we're making this new card game. It's pretty cool. I was like, oh, that's great, Peter. I hope that does well. Right? <laughs> yeah, pretty soon he's buying TSR and all those TSR people come out here and I got to meet them and know these folks. And Jeff Grubb's a good friend of mine, which is kind of how I got this gig. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do writing for Wolfgang Bauer, who's another friend of mine I met through, through playing Legend of the Five Rings in the local area. So you just live around Seattle, you meet all these people. And and so I did, never did it full time before because I had a you know six figure programming job and all that jazz. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty busy, but I would do little projects here and there and do some work for people. But um, in this case, Dave, who's the uh, Scott, the president of Evil Genius Games, uh, approached uh, Jeff Grubb looking for a lead designer for his new game idea. Jeff is like, ah, I'm very busy, uh, but I know a guy who nice. he didn't probably didn't say this, but just recovered from leukemia and has got a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> right. right. And somebody I trust and I know could do a good job. So uh, we got together. I, you know, tried to prove my metal to Dave there. 
uh, you know, you got to build a little trust before it gives you the green light. Of course. Yeah. So we went back and forth a little bit about what this game could be and how it could work. And I really wanted to match his vision, right? You know, provide him the game that he believes in and wants to buy, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So we got together and, and that's uh, how this came about. Awesome. It's amazing how it's like a, just out there in Seattle, that area is just a wellspring of so many creative talents, people knowing so much stuff. And yeah, like you said, you know people and you get into uh, figuring out different types of scenarios and uh, the world's open to you. It's, it's kind of a cool place to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, small industries and the game business is less small than it used to be, but they're built on trust. So mm-hmm, you get to know definitely. people and build a trusted relationship. It's advice to any would be game designers out there. Be kind to other people uh, work constantly so people can see what you can do. And then when the right opportunity is there, you know, uh, say yes. Absolutely. There we go. You know. It's kismet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned how you basically have been homebrewing since the beginning. You're kind of finding a better way to do both the game rules. And also you had, sounds like you had a similar path to me. The very first time I ever played, I was like the guy behind the seat, behind the board. That's what I want to do. Like I want, I, I'm happy to be the forever GM in the groups that I'm in. A lot of people take that as a burden. I love it. Um, I love being the guy who knows all the little pieces. Um, with your personal style, what do you feel like is a definitive way you could describe your style of a game? Do you have a certain type of approach you take to games, a certain type of feel that you have, uh, certain types of games that you like to play that fit your style? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I ever set out to have a style, right? So it's just kind of what I observe myself doing. I'm a, a very descriptive, talkative game master. I used to do acting in high school. I like performing the NPCs, right? So mm-hmm. I'll do voices for them and really get into that. Occasionally, I've had the players just sit around and they try to trick me into talking to myself, like getting two NPCs <laughs> right, into a conversation, right. uh, you know, just so they can be amused by the SIG show. So I'm a performative game master, right? I'm there to really entertain especially if i'm at a convention it's like you know it's kind of a show now i want them to totally be able to do the same thing um but i think players in my games tend to be attracted to a low effort style of play right? okay sure uh, they're not people who write 12 page backstories and want like their character's story arc to go like this they're people mm-hmm. who are like great tell me a story and i'll tell you what i do in the story right um and and let's fight some orcs and so in a way that's kind of a blessing i never have those players who destroy whatever it is i have planned but on the other hand i do have to have a plan for them or things will get kind of boring i can't just say okay you guys decide what to do and usually my players are not looking for that right Mm -hmm. so i've been trained over the years by the people i play with to provide a strong narrative and a strong sense of direction. I never tell people what to do, mm-hmm. but I have learned over the years how to set up a situation. People will almost always do more or less what I expect, not in the minute details, but in the overall like story. So um, tends to be most, most, not all of the material I prepare gets used. And, um, you know, they tend to follow along a, a fairly predictable path. Um, yeah, so I'm not a, like a real sandbox game master. That's so much work. It's very hard. Yeah. So I tend to prepare a story arc. I outline my game. I write up details where I'm really inspired to and leave other stuff kind of open. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, when it comes to like module writing, it's a little different. I tend to be super detailed because I want to provide a, like a new game master (laughs) with an incredible amount of support. 
right? Sure. So on the, yeah. on the adventures I've written, I really have a lot of detail available to them. And then very, you know, direct things like, okay, here's the description you can read. Here's what the encounter is. Here are some things the heroes might do and how you can respond. And I go through all that. When I'm playing my own games now, I have kind of a rough outline and some just kind of fun details that occurred to me as I was writing it. And I usually write one or two games ahead of where the characters are. So, oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I also like one of the techniques I use is when we get to a key decision point, that's often where I'll wrap up for the night. Right. So the heroes get to debate about what their, their decision is going to be. And that informs me as to what direction to prepare. Right. Nice. So that's a good tip for people who find that a little difficult. Um, yeah. And just staying one or two steps ahead keeps the keeps me from getting to a point where I'm like, if I'm not like full of creative energy, you know, sometimes as a game master, you're just on fire. Right. Like, you got yes, ideas. Yes. You're like you could do anything. I got you. I got you. Other nights mm-hmm. you're a little tired. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I like to have that crutch there. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen. So I don't have to be um, yeah, at my peak, let's say. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the ebb and the flow of the, the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as a player, I like crunchy stuff. So actually, as a player, I really opposite then (laughs) it is like I like to role play my character, but I also Mm -hmm. really enjoy strategy games, generally speaking. Okay, interesting. So I do enjoy kind of a crunchy, challenging combat as a player more than I do as a game master. As a game master, I have too much to think about to like carefully manage a bunch of NPCs. So my NPCs are a little on the dumb side. right? Okay. All right. Sure. He's just shooting up the room, right? Right. The players have an intricate 12 point plan to take him down. (laughs) Usually works out well. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's funny when I flip, I'm a little bit different as a player than as a game master. Well, that's good though. Cause then you can have a well-rounded experience. You just don't have to get pigeonholed into a, it's always this type of game all the time. You can have yeah. different stuff going on. I love that. Yep. You mentioned you played Dungeons and Dragons all the way back from the beginning. And obviously I'm assuming you've played a little bit of some everyday heroes, which is kind of based on fifth right. edition. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what other stuff do you, do you typically play? What's your favorite setting to play in? Mm. Well, I play a lot of call of Cthulhu because that's what my friends, uh, Jeff Grubb and the others like to play most mm-hmm. of the time. So we play call of Cthulhu and call of Cthulhu is a game where I love the setting like it's one of I love horror and in my D&D games tend to have horror elements of them. Beautiful. Um, you know, the monsters and stuff I really get into that. Um, so I like horror settings. And when I play with new players, uh, the most common setting I will do is a horror story, a survival story. There's a monster. There's a madman. There's something. Here's the situation you were in. Mm-hmm. Here are the resources you have. You need to survive until sunlight. Right. Love um, that. I think that's a great kind of scenario to introduce new people because almost everybody's watched a horror movie. You know how this goes. You have a clear objective um, and uh, the role playing comes pretty easy when the bad guy's really scary. So, and you get a pretty good emotional experience. So I like to do that. Call of Cthulhu rules. I'm not a fan of actually. I've played it for years and years and years and run gigantic campaigns in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, for me, when I'm, especially as a game master, I kind of want the rules to be there as a framework for me, but they can fade into the background most of the time and they're a tool when I need them. They're there for me. Call of Cthulhu. If you have to go into the rule book, mm, um, (laughs) look up the grappling rules or something. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not my favorite part of that game. Uh, you know, I still love to play it. Right. So even if I have my quibbles with it, I still love Call of Cthulhu, but, um, yeah. So, but it's just to say like, 
mechanically I can critique a game and say what I like or don't like, Mm -hmm. but to me that actually doesn't make it a good or bad game. Right. To me, it's the game master of the players that make a game good or bad. Um, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about the quality of the production and the writing. There's a lot of technical stuff, but at the end of the day, it's, did you have fun at the table with your friends? Yes. That's what really matters. Right. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've played in games where, yeah, you sit down to play it and it's the best game you've ever played. And then you get to pick up the rules or the quick starter or whatever. You're like, well, this is not at all what we played. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, or vice versa. I've played games that are just feel like a slog. And then you actually look at it and you're like, oh, this is a lot better this way. Yep. I, th- I think a lot of players are leaning more towards the propensity to have games that are rules light, that are very open like that. A lot more mm-hmm. character and player driven narratives as opposed to, I'm going to harken back to the 3.5 days of D&D where you had a specific rule for every single minute thing that could possibly come up in a game, which is good to have that stuff down, but to have it be so intricate, it's a little daunting, I think, to some people. But It can be, yeah. Yeah, and I try to take that into account on design. We try to have, I try to build a rule system that is easy on the surface and you can play it in a really simple, roll your D20, add a couple numbers, did you hit this number? great, here's what happens. Or you can get into the detail and it can be a fun tactical game where you really think, oh yeah, I'm going to lay down suppressive fire over here so that you can advance to the cover over there. And then I'll use up his reaction doing this. And then you can use your sneak attack and really hit him hard over here. Absolutely. So both of those I want to be available, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, with Everyday Heroes, I really try to structure it. So And there's a lot of optional rules in our core book to kind of say, like, here's the core system and how it works and how you can use it in many situations. And then, you know, if you're looking for specific advice on how to achieve certain kinds of things, here's some rules to do that. Right. And here's here's how you can do it. And so I like it really modular so that you can just sort of, you know, look, I don't like these rules. And you just put them on the shelf over there and the game still works fine. Absolutely. Um, but you're like, Hey, this rule's really fun and it really helps our role play and it makes combat exciting. Great. Use it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, so that's kind of my design philosophy. I've always been a modular guy. Uh, so yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think everyday heroes is definitely from the, the bit we've played in it. It's definitely feels like it's a nice middle ground between a nice crunchy game for the people who want to have that type of game and a narrative type game. There's a lot of rules that we've used or as you're saying, put on the shelf things that we didn't need to bother with. Um, yep. Now, right now, of course, we're dealing with a situation where, because it's still on Kickstarter, um, there's a little bit of some play testing going on. There's a little bit of things adapting. Um, so we have a character, for example, who's a, a computer hacker type character, and <laughs> we didn't have that when we started. So to have the rules now, it's a lot more uh, tied into what he could do. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to see how it develops. But um, yeah, yep. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good system. I do feel like it's very modular that way. You can just kind of piecemeal things you do or don't want to use based on how complicated you want things to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely think about that when I'm designing a rule. I'm like, I want this to be able to kind of stand on its own in a sense. And then if you got rid of it, you would still know what to do. Right. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a good feature of the way that you guys have designed the subclasses where you can have the general smart hero, for example, does a generalized thing. And you could even realistically play with just that 
and yep. not have the subclasses even in there. Um, but then the subclasses just add flavor. Reminds me of prestige classes from back in the day, that same. A little bit more so than archetypes from 5th edition, uh, because they're so specific. But uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have those things in there. Yeah, glad you like it. Everyday Heroes, of course, we've noticed, um, and it's it's out there. I know Dave's talked about it. I've heard you on other interviews talking about it. A big impetus on Everyday Heroes was the idea of making like an action movie, you know, that pulpy kind of action adventure feel. And uh, was that always something that was part of the design process, or was that part of Dave's vision, I guess you could say, or is that something that maybe developed over time? Yeah, it was absolutely Dave's vision. And I think he said on one of the interviews, you know, some of the things I learned from watching Dave do interviews rather than having talked to Dave, because we're both super busy, right? Sure. I kind of take care of the game design and he takes care of all the publicity and licenses and all that action. And together our our twin powers activate, right? (laughs) Um, But Dave uh, apparently has had an idea for this kind of a game for years. He loves Spycraft and D20 Modern and that genre. And he loves Mm. 80s action movies, right? Yes. And so he wanted a game that wasn't just sort of like with the serial numbers filed off, but would be a diehard game, a blah, blah, blah game, but one game for all of them. So he doesn't have to learn a different system every time he wants to play in a different world, right? Definitely. Um, You know, and it's not like this is the first game that's been like that. GURPS has, you know, kind of led the way in this area. And so we're following in those footsteps, not intentionally trying to emulate them, but... It's, it's a little bit similar in that way, mm-hmm. the philosophy behind it. Yeah, so he had that from the very beginning. And in fact, when he first pitched the game to me, uh, and then I wrote back to him how I would kind of approach it, he was like, um, no, it's like, that's a little too movie, right? I don't want directors and actors and, and scenes, right? I want a, just a regular role-playing game just has movie licenses. You're just playing in that world, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, because he talks so much about those movies, Yes, <clears throat> I thought, that's what he was going for, right? Turns out I was wrong. Uh, so I adjusted. I was like, hey, hey, I, I can do that too. Like, whatever you like, man. You know, like, we'll make whatever your vision is awesome, right? Um, and so, yeah, I adjusted a little bit. But those were in there from the very beginning. And he pursued licenses from day one. Now, what licenses we would get, eh, sure. you don't know until you get them, right? Mm-hmm. So he went after tons. I, you know, he'd be like, uh, Sig we need a pitch for Avatar. And I'm like, which one? He's like, <laughs> right. James Cameron Avatar. I'm like, yes. all right, I'm writing a pitch for James Cameron's Avatar tonight. Uh, <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, you know, so we pitched for lots of properties, right? And we didn't yes. know which ones we would get. We had favorites that we really wanted and we were offered more than the ones that you see, but we decided we can only do eight and we tried to make sure that they were kind of on target for the type of audience we thought we were looking at. Uh, and so on and so forth. And there's some we didn't get that we really wanted, even some we did some work on initially as pilot uh, kind of test scenarios and stuff. Uh, we didn't get those, kind of disappointing, but you know, but we're happy with the ones we got. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I'd be excited about anything because I feel like even if you don't like a movie or you thought, uh, you know, there's something, something you didn't care for, the acting or something, you don't have that problem in a role-playing game. What matters is the setting. Right. And can you tell cool stories? Does it inspire you to make great adventures? Mm -hmm. Can it let you fantasize about things that are cool? Well, yeah, it doesn't matter what you think about the movie almost. Right. It's just like, is the world of the movie interesting for adventure? And to me, almost everything is. So I get kind of excited about all of them, some more than others, you know, but. uh, Absolutely. What is your favorite action film? My favorite action film of all time is probably like Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, right. Uh, I like weird stuff. It's weird and it's funny. Uh, 
and yet it's also pretty good action. Uh, so it kind of ticks all the boxes for me. I can watch that movie anytime, right? Definitely, it just always yeah. pleases me, and I Absolutely. always get a kick out of it. I like Kurt Russell a lot. So, oh yeah, he's great. He's great in that type of film, definitely. Yeah, he's just perfect as the kind of hero, but you know, he's not totally. He's a little cheesy. Yeah, right. And it, you know, he's kind of not the hero of the film, but he kind of is. I, it's just a really brilliant piece of work that kind of comments on the genre. Um, I like almost all action movies. I, I'm pretty easy science fiction and action. Um, I get more picky when it comes to like horror or romantic comedy or comedy. Okay. Then I start to have like A's and B's when it comes to action movies, man, I love everything. Terminator two is a favorite action movie. Oh, yeah. That's probably one of my like best action movies. Right? It's just so perfect in so many ways. Definitely aliens uh you know i mean th- these are kind of like no surprisers though right like right you know they're just great movies fury road is amazing action film mm-hmm. um you know so all great stuff yeah it definitely showcases in everyday heroes that that's the feel of it i was talking with dave briefly before he had mentioned how there was different modes of play that they're going to f- emphasize a little bit later where you can have, you know, this one is more gritty action. So you have like a road to perdition or something where you have to like actually keep track of how hurt you might be or how much bullets you have. And then you might have Mad Max Fury Road where you've got unlimited ammo and everything's blowing up and it's way over the top. And that's uh that's really cool. That's really fun to see. Um, it's nice too, because you could play the game at those different levels you want to play. Um, yep. We're kind of doing our show with that's kind of a middle ground between the two. There's big giant explosions, but it's still realistic. Talking about the action movies, um, when we had talked, well, I should say when I had talked to Dave, we started talking about um, the A Team, and we started talking about yeah. you know, these old '80s shows and movies. So that's it's a fun, it's a fun uh, genre. Yeah, I mean, the A Team is something I grew up with as a kid, and even as a kid, I know it was cheese ball, right? That right. that's not what real combat looks like at all, right? Right. Because right. uh, I'd seen serious war movies even as a kid, and I knew, you know, war is hell. A Team yeah. is is like a vacation park, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> nobody gets hit. Yes. You know, people just sort of fly around, and the bad guys they just give up. But you mm. know, it's it's delightful fun, and it's a great model for an action role playing game because. Um, you know, I mean, you could make it more gritty if you want, but it's a team, right? And there's so few yes. action properties that are about a team. Most of them are about a main character or a main character and some sidekicks, yes. but they're five equals. And that is the hallmark of uh, role-playing games. Of course, you could play one-on-one. People don't do it very much, but uh, but that's the hallmark. And so I think A-Team is actually just like a great foundation and I will say our our character classes are a little on the broad side. If we're going to talk about gritty realism versus broad action, mm-hmm. I would say we lean 20% in the broad action. And you can most see it in the character classes that we designed. You can Definitely. interpret them different ways. Like you can take the same rules and interpret it very broadly. But like the way we name them, and there are uh, Easter eggs from lots of movies in the names of powers. So like mm-hmm. one of the genius plans is called i love it when a plan comes together right i think it's just called when a plan comes together but yes that's what it is i was thinking about the a team he always says that and i'm like what happens when he says that yeah everybody feels good so we get some Mm -hmm. hit points the part you know like you've done something successful now the team is ready for action right oh yeah Um, so so that yeah the a team is definitely a big influence and yeah you'll yeah there's easter eggs aplenty in the game right just tons of stuff 
There are, and that's actually out. that's actually fun to to wade through when you get into it. All the different little like you said, Easter eggs, little references, even with some of the things, um, non-ability things like different equipment pieces and stuff have little names like that too. It's it's fun. It's it's yeah. cool for people who are into that uh, to jump out at them. Yeah, I really try to provide kind of a layered experience, you might say, right? Mm-hmm. Just put as much love into the thing as I can. Definitely, definitely. So you were talking about uh, getting some different licenses and some different viewpoints into different types of film settings and genres. Of course, you're talking about the cinematic adventures that you folks are putting out, which are basically a year-long subscription or individual package things where you can get different types of scenarios. Um, one that jumped out to me that looked really cool was The Crow, one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, Pacific Rim, there's a bunch of them. There's eight of them, as you mentioned. With those being brought in there, how do you feel like those are really going to enrich the setting? You've kind of already briefly talked about that, but specifically, okay. how do you feel those eight specific franchises that you have now to focus on are going to play into the bigger picture of everyday heroes? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let me think about it for a second. So each of them definitely has some different things that they bring to the table. So on the one end, you've got like Pacific Rim, right? Which is a science fiction setting with gigantic robots, gigantic monsters, a very detailed and very different world than the one we live in today. And that is a long ways away from what the Everyday Heroes core rulebook looks like, which is about modern day John McClane kind of stuff. On the other end of the spectrum, You've got Rambo, and uh, which is about the modern day, more or less, mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't have anything that happens in the film, pretty much, that you wouldn't find in our core book somewhere. Like most of the weapons that you see in the movies are represented. Most of the type of action is represented. The NPCs, are, they're there in our book because that was kind of part of our baseline, right? Yes. Um, and so those two books are going to have a pretty different feel in some ways. Both are going to have a cool adventure. Both are going to have half uh, rules and setting information, but the type of rules and setting information you'll find are going to be pretty different. In Pacific Rim, we're going to be like, we got to have rules for giant robots, rules for giant monsters, how all this stuff works, how the drift works. So there's going to be a lot of details just to meet the setting minimums. And there will be a lot more that we haven't done, which uh, we will probably have, or we've made a deal for, but we haven't announced yet formally uh, a full source book for Pacific Rim, right? Oh, wow. Um, So we don't have a date for that or anything, but it is definitely, we've talked with license holders. Mm -hmm. It's something we're going to do. We just, you know, can't give you details because it's still, we're going to do something with this. Got a lot of work to do before we get there, right? But that's going to happen because it's such a big world, it deserves that. Uh, Probably Mm -hmm. same thing with uh, Kong Skull Island, right? Again, there's just a lot of interesting areas to explore. It's a rich ongoing license. So there's going to be a lot to cover. Um, now, the other ones will probably just be what you see, the cinematic adventure, right? Mm-hmm. But in Rambo, uh, we don't have to do that work. So it's more going to be digging into the details and really providing a lot of story advice for the game master. Uh, you know, I'll probably in Rambo, I'll talk about how mercenary companies work okay. and, you know, in the real world uh, and how you can build adventures around them and, uh, you know, different uh, settings where there are wars going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a little bit more kind of rich information in, in the minute details, right? Sure. Uh, and then in other books, it'll be 50-50, like the crow is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. The crow and his magical powers are going to be all new and kind of interesting. And then, uh, but also, you know, a strong theme in the crow is crime, right? And criminal sure. gangs and that sort of thing. So there'll be information like that, which is closer to the core book, but we'll provide a little richer detail. And then there'll be stuff that's entirely new, 
that just on its face value is going to be exciting because it's something we didn't have before. Absolutely. So all these books are going to be a mix. And the idea is you can, you can mix and match, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like we can't as license holders, we have to stick right. each book is its own world, right? Yes. Um, but we will put out a rules compilation where we take the IP, you know, the, the specific setting stuff, file that away. Right. Yes. And, and have a more generic version of all these rules. And totally the idea is, you know, if you want to be a Highlander immortal driving a, a Jaeger, you can do that, right? Like, I who am I to say no, right? Uh, and so we want them to all be interoperable as much as they can be. Now, there are some cases where, like, one will present a rule and one will present a little bit of a different version of a similar rule. And when we meld them together, we'll kind of, we'll do some of that melding for you, right? So mm-hmm. you get a nice smooth collection. But the needs of each setting will demand what's in each setting, uh, first and foremost, right? Um, but then right after that is interoperability, and um, allowing these different rule sets to be take some from column A and some from column B, put them together and have the best of everything. I love that. And that goes back to your modular style of design that you had mentioned before, where you want to be able to fit in things that you want and bring yep. it into your game that way. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, we had to make a system that could support whatever license we get. And there's a lot of licenses in the world. Yes. So uh, modularity was really important to me, but feeling is also important. So I think if you look at the Everyday Heroes book, it has a strong modern day action movie feel, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. Um, but we can take many of those same rules and give it a different feeling. Um, yes. And that's very intentional. Beautiful. I love that. Yes, you uh, you did mention the Highlander version of the rules, and I know there's a lot of traction I'm seeing just from the groups that I'm in. That's super exciting. Um, Highlander yeah. is always one of those things that I think a lot of us have always wanted to play a Highlander role-playing game. But like you mentioned before, how do you do that as a group? And uh, I think <laughs> the fascinating way that you guys are going to do that is really going to be exciting where you, you're a clan and you're doing this multi, perhaps generational, quote-unquote, story. Um, yeah. That's going to be a pretty cool development. i like to see that. Cool. Yeah, we really want to give you something that helps guide you into capturing the feel of the film mm-hmm. and the type of adventure that happens in the film. Even if that's very different from what we're used to going into a dungeon and, and whacking on monsters. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyday heroes is very different. Same rules, you know, largely, yes. but very different feel. And that's going to be true in all of these and, and not just one way. There's not just like one way to play Highlander, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be multiple choices, but hopefully they'll all be good. Right. And, right. and help you, you know, people are like, I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm like, well, that's my job. Right. <laughs> I will think really hard and be really creative and really challenge myself and work with my other designer friends to really challenge me. And we'll come up with something really cool. Uh, we'll come up with multiple things that are really cool, hopefully. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Yeah. I mean, in the TV show kind of paints a picture of how immortals can work together. Right. right. In order to, to band together to protect themselves against you. And it only makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. if you watch any of those survival games, yeah, you, you get friends, right? You maybe know later down the road, you're going to have to fall out with them. But for the time being, better one of you win than those guys. Right. Yeah, sure. um, so it's really actually only natural, I think, that immortals would work together uh, until there's just two. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have a duel. And one of the mechanics I really want to have in there, I haven't written it yet, but I've got an idea is a, a kind of a dueling mechanic. I forget what it was. Uh, back in the day, and back in the day, there was a game, you buy these little booklets, and one had a skeleton warrior, and one of them had an Amazon. And each book, you would each player had one of these books, and you were the Amazon. It had all these different moves on each page. 
And then he would pick a move and you would pick a move and you would compare and there's kind of a matrix. Oh, wow. So if I, if I guard and you thrust, then this happens. And if I do this and this and this, um, I'm going to not going to do exactly that, but I want to capture a little of that feel. So in the Highlander game, we're, I'm going to try to create a nice dual system uh, where you can set it on top of the regular combat system. It's not an entirely different system, okay. um, but you can say, okay, now we're going to have a duel. Right, and we're going to use these dueling rules, and then you add those on, and they're going to change how the combat comes out, and give you this kind of strategic, like, ah, I'm think what you're thinking, and because you use a big heavy weapon and I use a light weapon, then I'm going to do this style, and get that Rob Roy kind of situation, yeah. right? Like, there's a lot of great duels, and so I'm going to go out there and look at a bunch of movies, not just Highlander, where there are duels, and think about this, and think about that. fifth edition, and how I merge these things together. And how you can make it so you can either use it or not use it. And then, you know, if you are playing a campaign and then for the final session, it comes down to two, you can have an epic duel, right? I love and, that. Uh, awesome. And then you can do that. So, yeah. Beautiful. So now I'm picturing a Mortal Kombat type game. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, and yeah, and that's the thing is you can extend it out. Like a duel is just a really fun thing. Now it yes. doesn't come up in most role-playing situations, right? Mm -hmm. It depends on the type of story, right? Sure. But to have that in your in your toolkit, and as long as it's fun, right? It has to be fun. Because um, if it ain't fun, I'm not going to print it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I mean, not going to be fun for everybody. Some people like different things, but sure. yeah, at least if I think it's fun and my friends think it's fun, they'll go in there. Uh, I think it's just a, a cool tool to have. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love I'm i excited about that part. And it, you know, it partly came from uh, somebody asking me a question about it. Right. Really? Cause I haven't finished writing any of these things. You know, I'm, I'm hip deep on the rules for a bunch of them all at the same time. Cause they come out in a series. Right. So mm -hmm. they all need to get started and then be at various stages of development. So I'm still in the early stages of outlining and just throwing out ideas and brainstorming. Um, but uh, yeah, but you know, and, and if Anybody out there, you ask me questions, you have suggestions, they will be absorbed. Nice. I won't just do what people say. I'm not going to steal your ideas, right? But I will put them into my head and they will filter out and become something. So you can you can influence things by talking to me. Uh, I love that. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, like some Mortal Kombat, fighting games, uh, Double Dragon, you know, side-scroller, beat-em-up, Streets of Rage, these kind of things. Um, so maybe I'll put that into your, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do an inception into you with that, maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome stuff. I'm really looking forward to seeing what those cinematic adventures are going to be like, because they are pretty cool. The eight offerings are pretty awesome. And like you said, very varied. It's not just, yeah. you know eight different ways to do an espionage game. They're completely different. And that those are cool yep. to see. Now I wish we got an urban fantasy in there or, uh, because mm -hmm. people really want us to do urban fantasy. We tried, we mm -hmm. went after a couple, we didn't get them though. Um, so that's the one thing that I wish was in there. The crow has a little bit of that. So we sure. will, we will lean into it, uh, for the crow. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I kind of wish we, we got some of the other ones that we were trying for. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the one thing that I think is a little bit missing from our lineup. Uh, we may make our own, uh, you know, kind of urban arcana inspired game. Cause a lot of people are asking for that. Yes. We, we've got a pretty full plate at the moment and we, we got to deliver what we promise on first, but, uh, we're all mm -hmm. thinking about it right now, uh, because that's something people have told us they really want. Oh, absolutely. I've seen a lot of feedback online about that myself. And uh, I remember Urban Arcana back in the D20 modern days was a pretty popular thing that everybody was really into. Um, the FX rules with the quote unquote spells were FX and things like that was pretty was pretty cool. 
Yeah, it was great work they did. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. our uh, Dave's vision was a little more like no FX in the core book, mm-hmm. but it was yeah. fine for all the expansions. Um, and so that's cool. Partly just because we knew we would be dealing with a lot of that. We didn't want to pigeonhole like one design for it. We really want to have different systems. So in the end, you know, you'll get some magic in the crow for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. or what amounts to magic, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, and you'll see it, you'll see things that are like magic in some of the other settings in a sense, right? So, uh, and and hopefully we will do a full-on urban arcana style world and we'll have probably more than one magic system. Uh, and we tried to build a game that you could do a lot. I mean, even in a sense, like in our game, the genius heroes have these things called plans. And mm-hmm. a number of the plans, Goober made them by taking a D&D spell and going, how would this work in the real world, right? Yeah. Because they're they're already mechanically balanced, right, in the game mm-hmm. system. So it's a little bit of a nice shortcut. If If we think we can make it work, then we can borrow some of those. Not all of them were made that way, but some of them were. And if you look closer, you can see that. Mm-hmm. Um but you can take something. You're like, well, how could you have a how could you have a grease spell in in a in a realistic setting? Well, you know, we have genius heroes, and genius heroes are smarter than any of the players or the game master. Yes, and they plan ahead, and they bring the things that they need to bring in order to make things happen. And mm-hmm. they saw that cleaning product over there. They knew if it was mixed with that other thing. And they just tipped it with their foot at the right time two turns ago, mm-hmm. and now there's a grease slick on the floor, right? Right. And, uh, right. You know, uh, so the player doesn't need to be a genius, but the character can be a genius. Uh, Kind of like magic, but we have an explanation for it that's perfectly not magical. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, our uh, smart hero hacker type with his drone, he has a lot of fun with that, where there's an app for that, and my drone can do that. He has just, oh, I just activate another thing, my drone, it's going to zap somebody, or it's going to pick a lock or whatever. All these different things that the party just can't do. Well, oh, I just have an app for that. It's fine. It's uh, It's been kind of fun to see that. (laughs) Yeah, the hacker and the engineer class really are... um, we give them plot power, as I call it, right? Sure, yeah. Right, That's like even if they are yeah. not combat gods, they have this incredible power to influence the plot and the story mm-hmm. and and do things that, well, us mere mortals who are not geniuses have a little trouble with. Uh, and yes. I think they're, they're just a riot to play. They're really fun. Mm-hmm. As a game master, they can be a little like, oh, jeez, <laughs> he can do that, can he? Right. Uh, yeah, so I did warn people who were doing our play test who were game mastering. I'm like, watch out for those smart heroes, man. Like, they're going to they're gonna push you. Yeah, they, they can uh, quickly put the monkey wrench in there, as they say. <laughs> you got to be able to roll with the punches because the, the heroes are coming, right? Uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, um, do you feel like that is a defining aspect of everyday heroes? I've heard you mention that a couple of times with what we've been talking about is how, you know, this aspect is fun to do and this aspect is exciting and this aspect is fun to play. I mean, that's probably the the course for any type of role playing game you want to design is to make it fun because, like you said, if it's not fun, you're not going to publish it. Uh, But um, is that you feel like the main the point of everything do you feel like people should spend a lot of time worrying about the minutiae about the different types of rules and everything or just play it more fun more rule of cool and more um, yeah. fast paced do you think well I, you know i really want it to work both ways right mm-hmm. uh because for some people you know for me sometimes i love games like BattleTech and stuff i love minutia and strategy right so if that's sure. fun for you I want it there right yeah. uh, different people have different kinds of fun and i would like the game to uh, cater to as many people as possible without losing its own sense of character, right? It does need to have a sense of character. 
And our sense of character is a little bit rule of cool. It's definitely something we talk about. We're like, is it cool? Okay, well, we should try to do it. But then there's another layer. And after we say, yes, it's cool, then I say, does it work mechanically? (laughs) Like, is it broken, right? I got a big spreadsheet. Uh, we didn't start out with the spreadsheet, but we had to bust it out as as we went on stuff that calculates hit percentages and damage values and average damage and damage over time and first turn damage and all these different numbers for all the heroes and all the different possible, not all the possible builds, but all the ones that I considered to be most optimal, right, from mm-hmm. a technical standpoint. Right. We tried to make it so you can't play a really bad hero they're all going to be good no matter what you do Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can definitely tweak things and get a more optimal more powerful hero if you're really strategically thinking right um so i wanted to take those guys and and the average guys too both and just run all the numbers from level one to level 10 and and all that uh, and so, and also because we want some characters, you know, this is an offensive character, is a defensive character, so on and so forth. They have little roles to them, not super pigeonholed, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just run all this stuff. Uh, it gets pretty complicated, but we have to do that, right? Otherwise, the, the cool thing that you put in makes the game unfun when Joe over there just, you know, blows away every bad guy in the first round. Nobody's having right. a good time. Uh, I mean, you want that to happen sometimes, but not all the time. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, we do rule of cool first, then rule of works, right? Or, you know, yeah. mechanical integrity, let's say. And uh, a Goober, my co-lead designer, is also very good with that. And so between the two of us, yeah, we crunch the heck out of it. I love that. I think I wrote one example. How many grenades can you throw in one round? Right. Like, right. <laughs> which was one of the challenges. I could throw seven grenades. I'm like, eh, you can't throw seven. You could throw four maybe. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. If you really go crazy, you could get four of them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I go over that in an example, explain kind of how it works and how you, why you can't do more um, since yeah. it came up. Right. Uh, that's the thing I love about playtesting. We had like 600 people sign up. Mm-hmm. I won't say every, every one of those people actually participated. Right. Uh, right. But quite a lot of people participated. We got a ton of good feedback and it makes for a better game. As Absolutely. clever as Goober and I could be, you can't be as clever as 600 people. Right. Like, it's not gonna right. Happen. Well, and it's so. good to have that wall to bounce things off of too, you know, because totally. you're going right. to find yeah. out what the people you are making the game for like about the game or don't like about the game and you can modify that i know just from the time that we started recording to about three or four episodes in there was a big change to how the armor worked we were like well wow that's so different um was changed for the better i felt but um it it was very different though it was like the the armor saves was a lot lower we had in our first session for example one of our players shot a bad guy and did like 30 something damage but then the guy didn't die because but then the rules got changed later to where oh that would have still killed that guy and so it's a little bit more um like you said, the rule of cool, the exciting thing of I, you know, I'm a single blast this this bad guy, knock him out of his boots, uh, was still playable because the rules were updated for that. So. Yep, and, and Goober's to credit for that. He was determined to make it so if you take a lot of damage, that it's harder to make your armor save. And we went back and forth. I was like, mm, you're going to have to persuade me, right? That this is going <laughs> to actually work and not just mm-hmm. be a lot more bookkeeping for players, right? Sure, um, sure. And we went back and forth on it, and then uh, we got we ended up with, we ended up with a compromise we both like better than any of our individual ideas. And so, like, well, that we know that's a win, right? Beautiful. You know, when yeah. that design pressure, you know, for designers, it's really important to, uh, 
you know, I, I did a lot of my design work alone, essentially back mm-hmm. in the day, mm-hmm. it's harder to be as good. Um, you, it really helps to have somebody who challenges you. Right. And uh, will push you and say, no, I think this isn't good. And, and also for a designer to say, well, I think it is, but let me shut up about it and think hard for a while mm-hmm. uh, and pretend, at least pretend that you're right <laughs> until I can prove otherwise. Right. right. <laughs> right. Um, so you want that. We have a really nice uh, collaborative uh, relationship on the design team, which is great. And Dave as well. Dave does some design too. He got to do more early on, but then as the marketing and licensing took steam, poor guy. Right had less and less that he could he could get in there and, and work on. But but he pushes us as well. And he says, hey, now, you know what, guys? Like originally, hacker and engineer were one class, essentially. There was an mm-hmm. engineer. And sometimes it was called a hacker and sometimes it was called an engineer. And he's like, yes. I really want this hacker. And da, 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 and you know, and eventually it's like, we're going to make two classes. One's a wow. hacker, one's an engineer. We're going to pull them apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we get both right. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think and I think it makes sense having to be separated like that. They are technically different types of disciplines, I guess you could say. Something I found interesting too about the game was something that two of my original characters they immediately wanted to do multi classing, and the way that you guys have resolved multi classing is with the use of feats. These big feats that give you other options that aren't to your core class. I thought that was super cool. I've never seen a game do the quote unquote multi-classing as a class feature. I thought that was really interesting, but it, it opens up a lot of different possibilities for your players because you have a scenario where let's take what we have now with our smart hero. Uh, you know, he's a computer hacker character with a drone. So he's basically his base is an engineer, but then he's got the feet that gives him so he can do hacker plans too. So he's yeah. got a little bit best of everything. Um, we've got our scrapper tough hero has a plan or two because she wanted to have mastermind stuff going on and it's really cool you can really customize your character but you don't have to dump levels into a class that really at the end of the day you know having a scrapper type character if you take smart hero levels it doesn't really mechanically add to your character because mm-hmm. she wants to fight stuff um, so if you have those feats that build in like that um, it's a really cool middle ground. Uh, I thought that was a really cool inventive thing. I'd never seen a game like said that did that before. That was pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. And I, although I have to say uh, Pathfinder two does that. Um, oh, okay. They do it a little differently, but mm-hmm. they multi-class through feet progression. Um, Interesting. And they, okay. they actually have a more complicated, complex system with like, you'll, you can take six or seven, but they go one to 20 instead of one to 10. So they got more time to kind of dole it out. Um, it's definitely a different implementation, but it's the same idea. Okay. I didn't know that when I designed it, but one okay. of the playtesters pointed it out to me. It's like, oh, it's like Pathfinder 2. I'm like, it is? And so I went <laughs> like, oh, hey, somebody else had the same idea. That's fantastic. It, to me, that gives me confidence, right? It means I'm not the only one that thinks this is a good idea. Right. Uh, that actually helps me go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm on a good track here. I'm not mm-hmm. crazy. I had to convince Dave and Goober of this uh, on the design uh, team day after you know week after week I would bring it up and I'm like I don't think regular multi-classing works for us because we we wanted first level to feel awesome like first mm-hmm. level characters are heroes they have multiple things they can do um, but the way uh, 5e does multi-classing and 3e did before uh, you take the first level and now you're just get you, like you should just take first level and everything right mm-hmm. um, it'd be amazing until maybe you're up in eight or nine and you can't, might miss the high level powers mm-hmm. so I was like, I don't think this works for us. It just gives the wrong incentives and it doesn't, some of our mechanics are a lot harder to make work. Which defense thing do you use? 
And so I'm like, feats, feats, feats can solve this problem. They're the way you customize characters, right? Yeah. And we decided early on feats would be core. And I'm like, yeah, let me let me work on this. The other advantage uh, as a designer is you can say, look, what is it that makes a class cool? What is it a marksman does? Marksman is good with guns, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want my charming hero to be good with guns, how do I structure the marksman feats? So you take this feat and you are a guy who's good with guns now or a gal or whatever you like, right? Um, But, uh, you know, if I'm a marksman and then I take martial artist, what if there's like an ability that does extra damage? Like I I have a character who has lots of attacks, like the master uh, martial artist. And then I want to cross over into scoundrel, which has like a sneak attack mechanic. Now I'm getting sneak attack and I'm getting So the feats let me go, okay, well, this this feature of this class is not good to multi-class with these three other classes. It gets broken. Mm -hmm. So that won't be in the feat. Maybe I'll make something a little different, like the mechanics are just slightly different in the the multi-class feat. So you still get that ability, but you can't stack it with this other thing because of the way the action economy works. And so it really let me make it so that every combination works uh, and no combination is just like the only answer to how you do something. Uh, And so, you know, and and I made a central uh, companion mechanic right mm-hmm. for for pet classes so that if you want to multi-class and get the pet you can absolutely do that and it'll still be balanced right sometimes that means maybe the pet isn't like as uber as it is for the other guy because they sure. get a thing because the pet's their main deal but right. if you come in there and pick up the pet uh you still get all the fun and the role play of having the pet and you can use it in combat like if it's a, a flying eagle or something that's pretty cool mm-hmm. in situations where you can't get to somebody if you're a melee guy or something right Um, But you can't like stack the pet's damage onto the highest damage melee characters and create this broken character (laughs) because the action economy kind of doesn't let you do it. So, yeah, yeah, just try to work it out so you can combine everything freely, crazily, and you're hopefully not going to break. (laughs) I mean, the more books we put out, right, the harder this job gets. But um, hopefully it's all going to be balanced and cool and just make you flavorful in different ways. Um, That's what I want. Um, And yeah, I just it's nice because I can the class can have this mechanic and the feet can have slightly different same theme, but different implementations so that it is cross compatible. Beautiful. Yeah, I I like it. I I think it's a smooth way to do it. I, I like it. So you've got, of course, you guys are finishing up the game. You've got these cinematic adventures that, as you mentioned, you are hip deep in all eight of them. <laughs> yep. What Running else hard. is on the horizon for you, Sig? What else are you working on? What are you going to be doing after the Everyday Heroes kind of hitting? Or are you kind of tied up in that for the long haul? That's uh, pretty much my gig so long as there's work to do. Um, you know, I might, in my past, when I published some stuff, uh, once you start publishing some stuff, uh, people come find you, right? And you mm-hmm. get offered more work. So um, if... Uh, if I get everything done for Everyday Heroes, which will be my first priority, uh, and I have some more time, then I'll work on some other things. I don't have anything lined up, um, but uh, there'll be a possibility. But I think Dave will keep me very busy. He's certainly intimated to me that he wants me to stay very busy. Mm-hmm. At one point, I was job hunting. Like I said, I came off of uh, having leukemia last year. I spent a year basically in chemotherapy, weak as a kitten, not able to do a bunch of anything. And you know, I had to stop working and traveling and everything else. And uh, so this opportunity came to me just as I was like, okay, I feel normal again. I'm I'm back, back into life. And so I just hit the ground running, but I was job hunting. And Dave was like, 
wait, you're, you're interviewing for jobs sick. No, no, no. Like you need to be doing everyday heroes. right? So, so I don't think I'll be doing anything else so long as everyday heroes is a running affair, unless it's little small jobs for people. Um, and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe we'll do also because I have a lot of friends in the business, you know, and if a friend comes to me and say, ah, I need somebody to pinch hit on this right. little thing, can you write 10 feet for us? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Right. For sure. That's what I did before I had a full time gig writing for a role playing game is I, I, I gigged little little bits and pieces for my friends. Uh, I'll there probably still do that. Absolutely. Well, I definitely think you have your hands full, and I like what I'm seeing. I, I'm, Everyday Heroes has been a blast for us to play, for me to run, and uh, I can't wait to play more of it. Uh, so we have our finale coming up pretty soon, but I know that it's something that we're going to do some more with because it's just a really cool, solid game. We, we like it. And I'm looking forward to when it gets fully released so everybody can see the uh, finalized product. The mock-ups of the covers look really cool. That special edition one, that 20th anniversary one, is really That's cool. pretty gorgeous. Uh, the old classic characters and the newer yeah. style i love it really cool yeah so i'm excited yeah so uh, i'll do the little residual plugs uh if you see this while the kickstarter is still going mm-hmm. please head on over to the kickstarter for everyday heroes uh you might have to search for evil genius games plus everyday heroes because everyday heroes is a very common phrase um but you'll find the kickstarter over there on kickstarter um also, you know, we have on uh, drive through RPG and on our website, you can get the uh, quick start rules. Um, the final game will be a little different, like the armor system, as you mentioned, has, has changed since then. Um, but it's uh, pretty close uh, and it's, you know, a nice sample. It's enough to build some characters. Basically, I, I made four characters and then split them into pieces so you can mix and match. Uh, and and then it's got a full adventure in there and it's got the full combat rules. There's, yeah, it, it talks about what's in there and what's not in there, but you can totally play the game and have fun with it. So I, it's totally free. So I invite you to grab that uh, and check out our work and, and see what you think. So yeah, all those things are going to be right on the show notes. So oh, cool. you can click okay. right on them and get right over to them because yeah, they are they are pretty cool. There's also links on our website as well, GameNightHeroes.com that has links to bring you guys over to Evil Genius Games to get attached to that stuff too so yeah so uh, yeah it's beautiful stuff i'm really excited but this has been an absolute pleasure sig thank you so very much for sitting down with me and talking shop as it were <laughs> I, uh, I love it right like so anytime man yeah thanks thanks so much yeah i'm really looking forward to see what comes next so <laughs> sweet thank you so very much for listening to this episode of the game night heroes podcast I, Kevin, had an absolute blast sitting down with Sig to talk about his time with the role-playing game community, what he enjoys out of games, and what he can be expected to give us in the future of Everyday Heroes. Everyday Heroes is currently still on Kickstarter, and it is a role-playing game that is put out by Evil Genius Games, and you can be found the link in our show notes. If you want to follow Sig, you can follow him on different social medias at SigTrent, S-I-G-T-R-E-N-T, he also has his game blog at SigTrent.com, his live stream at twitch.tv slash SigTrent, his U.S. adventures at trailandhitch.com, and his adventures in Japan, twohugeinjapan.com. Sig is an all-around great guy. I had an absolute blast sitting down talking with him today, and I hope that you will support him and Evil Genius Gaming by going over to the Kickstarter now, the link in our show notes, and join the mission today. Thank you all once again for listening. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dream.